Okay, so we're going to record this session. I think I forgot to record a couple of them. And uh, let's stand up together. Some people are traveling, so we might be missing some. We'll see. Or maybe they're having good conversations. <laughs> Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Illumine our hearts, O Master, who lovest mankind with the pure light of thy divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our mind to the understanding of thy gospel teachings. Implant in us also the fear of thy blessed commandments, that trampling down all carnal desires we may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things as are well-pleasing unto thee. For thou art the illumination of our souls and bodies, O Christ our God. And unto thee we ascribe glory together with thy Father, who is from everlasting, and thine all holy, good, and life-giving spirit, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is and ever shall be. Amen. Oh, so every once in a while, I like, did you get God's revelation to the human heart? Yes, Good. That's a, a really lovely little talk that Father Seraphim Rose gave. Um, Oh, okay. And I talked to Proto Deacon about that, and I said, "Is it okay if, if I hand that off to Tara?" And he said, "Oh, yeah, I think that'd be good." Okay. So thank you, thank you for. I meant to remind you of that. So thank you so much. Yeah. And then let's shut. The, can someone shut the door for for us? Just because there are kids who are having fun still. We're having fun, just a different kind of fun. I like to ask every once in a while, has anyone encountered any good books or articles, anything that's been particularly helpful as you've been exploring orthodoxy? Are there any books? I know you for the life of the world. You told me that last week. But... uh, and then I talked to Tara and Judd. They said that the, many of the pamphlets out in the narthex have been helpful. But, uh, yeah, I'm reading the Orthodox Way. The Orthodox Way? Yes. Have you made any progress this yeah, week? I'm not with it. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it. It's a nice, it's a good book. Yeah, there's a lot of good information out there. And then that book by Metropol- Metropolitan Callistos, I think he was, his name was Timothy when he wrote that book. But uh, that one, The Orthodox Way, is really good. I'm also reading, uh, I guess it's not really necessarily written by an Orthodox, uh, um, David Bentley Hart, The Story of Christianity. Oh, okay. You have to let me know how it is. Yeah, Good. What about you? Are you reading the works of um, St. John of Damascus? Actually, that's exactly what I'm reading through. You are? Okay, good. I thought so. Nice. Awesome. Good. Well, but Christianity is not all in the books, by the way. Father um, Roman Braga, who was, who was a man who lived under um, communist persecution in Romania, 
He said, these days were all made up of quotations. And Christianity is not all in the books. Kind of like I said today. You could read a million pages. You could read a million and one pages. So, um, what's important is how we begin to, to live our life. And that's why in the Orthodox Church, you see that there's an integration of your thought life and your practical life. We call it like... Praxis and theoria. Although theoria could mean could mean more, more than one thing. But praxis and, uh, and theoria. And they're not at odds with one another. What do they say? The devil knows the Bible too. The devil knows the Bible too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And they also say um, well, the demons fast much more than you and I do. <laughs> You know, so, you know, it's not, but, but they refuse to let the teaching <coughs> inform their being, you know, out of pride. So praxis is a fancy word that just means like how you live the practical life, how you, how you do, you know, how you carry yourself. Um, and theoria, I, I've also been, um, I've also been talking like in our conversations a lot about the, um, the relationship between the uh, like the mystical and the uh, the dogmatic. One thing that I one text that I think is amazing that I just recently read that brings all of that together mm -hmm. and is a text that you bring back into the world is Saint Maximus's uh, mystical. Okay. Yeah, you know, about liturgizing the world. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that was amazing. Good. Only 30 pages, but it's really the deep 30 pages. Uh, you know, yeah, and it's things like that. Sometimes I like to post them on our website, too. On our little, and a lot of them are available, public, um, what's it called? Public domain and things like that. A lot of the, those writings. So, okay. Well, cool. I'll have to look and I'll, see if, I'll have to see if it's available. Um, and then maybe we can get it out to people. But he is one of the harder people right. to read. Right. Saint Maximus. Yeah. So one of the things I tell people oftentimes is that someone might say, "You should read this book. I love this book." And then you read it and you'll go, "Whoa! I what? You know, I don't know what that is. I don't even know what that means." So that doesn't mean that. Um, you're not where you should be. It just means that this isn't, this isn't the fare that you need at this moment. You know, this isn't the proper cuisine for you to, con you know, to, to consume, to receive. So I've had this experience many times, like with the writings of the, the contemporary Saint Sophroni of Essex, England, where I started reading some of his writings early on in my journey to orthodoxy, and it was just too distant. He seemed very distant to me and kind of technical, and now he, he climbs right through my mind and my ears down into my heart, and he speaks from there. And, but it took me many years before I was able to read. So just keep that in mind, because you'll encounter, you'll encounter shallows and depths in orthodoxy. Some of the shallows are people's little, they're kind of their little personal stories and anecdotes. You know, they're, they're little... Um, stories about their experience, especially a lot of contemporaries will talk about their own experience and, you know, 
discovering orthodoxy and things like that. And that then, yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I had that experience of when I was really looking into orthodoxy for the first time, I read uh, Jonathan Zuzoyla's Genius Communion. Yeah. And I was like, this is the best, and I gave it to my friend. Like, what in the world yeah. are you talking about? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> this isn't even readable. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. so a lot of it depends on where you're at, you know. And, and just because you're not at a place to be able to read, say, Maximus or Losky, you know, mystical theology of the Orthodox Church right now, um, maybe eventually you will, you know. So, um, But I'm always interested in what what speaks to people, especially people who are journeying to, toward orthodoxy. But what I'm finding is that um, the diversity of things that speak to people is as diverse as the, peop- the, the number of the people in the room. I mean, you know, because everyone is a di- at a different place in life. And some of us have certain similarities or certain backgrounds, but we're all, we are all idiosyncratic too. We're all unique. So the Lord speaks to us each in different ways. And that's one of the things that's actually wonderful about having so many different books and translations of things these days. We're really blessed in that way because um, we can we can kind of look around and find that choice fair that we need. The only time that you, and it's it's not because it's, totally subjective you know like Christianity is subjective like it's just all about how I feel but also it's because each of us are limited by our own experience or we each have a unique perspective too and the Lord speaks to us God reaches us in different ways so um, it's a place where there's some unity and diversity now there is there there are times when someone who's in your life, like a spiritual authority, spiritual guide, like if I were to say, you really need to, you need to read through this, you need to work really hard to read this book, like the book on the Incarnation by St. Athanasius of, Alex- of Alexandria. Like, that is a, that's one that's it's kind of hard to read, but it's really worth the time. And the introduction to that book the book has been released by St. Vladimir's Seminary Press. The introduction was written by C.S. Lewis, who was not an Orthodox Christian, but, but loved the early church writings. And he said, I've benefited far more from older works that required more of me, that were harder to read, that I had to work to understand, than multitudes of contemporary writings that were easy to understand. So part of it is slowing down. Slow down. Take the effort. Excuse me. Take the time to make the effort. Um, and uh, like if you read a book like that, read a sentence. Okay, I think I got that one. Read the next sentence. What does he mean by that? Huh. Maybe I'll make a note and ask the father about it. Or me, you know, maybe I'll think about it a little bit. Okay, keep going. And then sometimes with reading you won't understand what something means until you have the, the context, the broader context as well, of, of the paragraph or the chapter that it's written in. So, anyway. The, 
that, that, that text by C.S. Lewis, I think I read that 25 years before I actually read St. Athanasius, but yes. there's something in there where he says, you know, read the primary sources, yep. don't read the secondary sources. Very often you read the secondary sources, which are harder than the primary sources, and you think the primary source is difficult, but the mm -hmm. primary source really gets to the heart of the yeah. matter. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, his introduction to that is precious. Yeah. And then the, the text itself is even actually even better. Because yeah. he's trying to tell you, read this, read it, you know. Um, so that, that, that's when I would, I have it on my required reading list, required, um, for people who are interested in orthodoxy. And I think it's one that you wouldn't regret taking the time to read through. What's that called? It's called On the Incarnation. Um, and if you go to our website, there's an about page and it says how to become an Orthodox Christian. And I have, um, I have uh, four or five books that I call them required. Although I told you this week, not everyone that I've received into the church has, has read all of those books in full. But it's, it's a goal for everyone to, to read those texts. And um, so... And if, if you can't, or if, whatever it may be, uh, you just let me know, and we talk about it. And I, sometimes I'll recommend alternate texts, too, for, for people based on where they're at in life. But it's called On the Incarnation. Pretty easy title to remember. And it's pretty, it's actually pretty small, but I heard someone once say, beware of small books. <laughs> because, yeah, they may look small, <laughs> but when you get into them, I don't know, every, like what I told you the other day, every surface has a depth, you know what I mean? So it might have fewer pages, but it has incredible depth. I learned from a, a, an acquaintance who, who was a monk, um, um, Orthodox, who is an Orthodox monk, but now he's teaching at a seminary. Um, every depth has a surface, he says. Every depth has a surface, but not every surface has a depth. That's one worth chewing on. And then he starts talking about the computer in our life. Every surface, not every surface has a depth. And he's criticizing our overuse or warning us about overuse of this particular surface. And then he says, what is a computer but a disembodied mind? And then what are we trying to do? We're trying to re-embody our minds that, are, that we've deluded ourselves into thinking are, have been disembodied. We've separated the two artificially. We're trying to unite the two. Anyway, and one of the ways that we, we do that is by spiritual discipline. And one of those disciplines is fasting. And so we're going to talk about that today. So let's, um, let's do that. I'll, I'll pass these out, these texts. Um, page 215. This time I'll make sure that you know what page to turn to. Okay, page 223, page 223.
Um, do you want a copy? Thank you. I will, I will try to remember to print out the chapters in the future. Since we have more people, we need more copies. So, 223, is that what I said? Fasting? Okay. So I'm going to go through our text here on fasting, and then I'm going to talk to you about the application of it. We've got a, like a fasting calendar that I'm going to give you that we, that we use in our um, archdiocese. And, um, and then maybe we can, we'll see what happens from there. And if we have more time, I, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about um, the use of vigil lamps. I talked to, oh, he's not here. Um, I talked to someone about using oil lamps at home, and I wanted to show you one of the things that we do in the Orthodox tradition to, to um, have a little lamp burning in front of our icons and some things like that. So depending on how much time we have. So fasting. In the New Testament, prayer is closely associated with fasting. When the apostles were unable to cast a demon out of a child, the Lord told them in Mark 9, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Though he's God by nature, our Lord himself fasted in the flesh so that we might learn the importance of fasting. I like to think if he, if he did it, we should probably, his example is probably worth following. Maybe not to the extreme, you know, the supernatural extent that, that he did of like 40 days with absolutely no substance. But we do practice fasting in the church, and the church sets forth a program of moderate fasting that is that it's healthy for us spiritually and physically. In giving instructions to his apostles, Christ did not say to them, if you fast, but when you fast, in Matthew 6, 16. And the apostles fasted. Acts 13, 2 says, And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. That's when they were ordaining or calling some people into ministry. But um, they ministered to the Lord and they fasted. They spent time in prayer and fasting. And then in that early Christian writing, the Didache, which, which all of you could read, and maybe I should include that in, our, in some of our required reading because it keeps coming up in our sessions. It's one of the first like post-apostolic um, practical and doctrinal works. The Didache, we read that the early Christians observed Wednesdays and Fridays as regular fast days, even as we do today. So we're talking first century. So it wasn't like some, you know, innovator in the 1990s thought that this would be a great way to fast. Or even, you know, even into the second millennium or something like that. I mean, it's been going on for a long time. And... If you study, actually, if you study the just anthropology and people groups and religions, you will see that a lot of people groups, 
lot of people throughout time have acknowledged the benefit of moderate food consumption and even depriving yourself for a time for spiritual and physical and I would add kind of psychological benefit too. It's very good. And then why did they observe, this is a throwback to our last session, why did they observe the early Christians and why do we observe Wednesdays as a fasting day? Betrayal of Christ happened on Wednesday. And then why Friday? Christ, Christ was crucified on a Friday. No, but someone actually just made that correlation the other day. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I just wanted to have a liturgy during the week. And several years ago, someone said, I'm available Friday morning. And I can sing the Divine Liturgy if you want to do it together. I said, I would love that. Let's do it. So we started on Friday mornings. And it's a nice day because it's a fasting day. It's a good day, a good way to start your day. And it's a really beautiful service, that Friday morning liturgy. Have any of you been? I know you have. Yeah, oh, and Carl comes a lot too. It's one of the most prayerful, peaceful, I don't know how else would you, could you describe it? Heavenly? I call it hesychastic. Because the word hesychast means like someone who practices stillness. So hesychastic means like quiet, still prayer. Um, that Friday morning liturgy is like that. It's not done with a full choir. And like, like we did today, it's very like festive and energetic and kind of loud, celebratory. Um, it's very calm gentle i mean i barely i barely make a sound in peace let us pray to the lord you know on sunday morning it's in peace let us pray to the lord you know cuz there's all the kids there's all the noise and then there's the loud choir um and it's really wonderful but also that it's amazing what in contrast to silence what a little bit of sound can do, you know, just a little bit. So that's a beautiful service. I don't usually live stream that service just because it's so like small. I don't know. It feels. I don't want to interrupt it in a way, you know. But uh, but Wednesday and Friday. But someone did say it's nice to have. It's nice to have that on that fasting day, the day Christ was crucified, because we're going to be fasting throughout the day, and to start the day with Holy Communion kind of gets us in the right perspective. And then it's a very calm, sober service. So they asked me, is it because it's Friday? Is that why? I said, no, that's not why. Just That's how it worked out. But um, Fasting is therefore, it's not, it's not an option for Orthodox Christians. Is an essential element of the life in Christ. Great Lent begins with the command from the prophecy of Joel. Joel 2.15 says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. In short, fasting isn't a matter of obedience to God. And also we could say like the first, the first sin was technically um, in 
the inability to fast or the unwillingness to fast. Don't eat this, which is a type of fasting. Fasting is abstaining from certain things. And you'll see as we talk about it, it's not abstaining from everything. We just eat a simpler, more moderate diet when we fast. And there are a couple of different kinds of fasting. So there is a complete abstinence from food, and then there's an abstinence from certain kinds of food. And complete abstinence from food is prescribed before the reception of communion. So when we're, when we're going to receive Holy Communion, we, we don't eat anything prior to that. So for, for most people, they will not have any, anything to eat or drink, like on Sunday morning, before they come to church. Prepare to have your minds blown, even coffee. They will not even have coffee. I know. True asceticism. We brush our teeth. Yeah, I know. You know what? I had someone very like sweet. I had someone so sweetly like come up to me one day with this little look on their face of concern. And they said, Father, um, I think I accidentally swallowed a little mouthwash this morning. Is it okay if I still receive communion today? I said, yes, that's fine. I said, if you weren't, as long as you weren't like trying to take a swig, is oh, oops, you know. <laughs> how did that happen? You know, but the idea is like, we, we prioritize the things in our lives that are most important. And receiving the holy mysteries, we call them, holy communion, is the most important thing that we can receive into our body. So, um, so we, we discipline ourselves by observing a fast from food and drink. Now, there are people who need to have a me- medication or something like that. And um, like I was talking to, to someone recently, that they said, I have, to, I have a medication I, I'm required to take three times a day. So if I don't take it in the morning, by the time we're done with the service, I'm at the time where I really need to take my second dose. So what should I do? And I told them, um, well, at first I asked, is it something that you really need to keep on, like keep on regular schedule? And they said, yeah, I can't really miss, miss it. So I said, well, then in the morning, then you just, you take your medication with a little bit of water, but nothing more than that. So it's not a matter of being sinful per se. You know what I mean? If you, um, if you need to for some reason, or if you accidentally drink, swallow a little of your toothpaste or mouthwash or something like that. I mean, we're swallowing our spit all the time. I mean, you know, so we don't need to be weird about it or overly or superstitious about it. But it's a way of training ourselves to understand, like, what is, what, what is important? What is our priority? And then when we have an evening liturgy, we, our goal is to fast for like six hours in advance of that. So if the liturgy, like I said, on the liturgy on Wednesday is going to start at about seven. So like me personally, I'll, I'll have probably a cup of coffee in the morning and drink a little bit of water, especially because I'm going to be using my voice a lot during the service. So hydrate up until about, you know, one, maybe a little earlier than that. Um, some people will have a little bit to eat too if they need, to, need it. And part of it is actually getting to know your body, too. You know, 
we, we, a lot of times we eat because we desire to eat, but not really because we need to. And sometimes, someone told me this interesting little note about kids who don't want to fast prior to liturgy. This person said, you know what? You get kids playing out in the backyard sometimes, or let alone on, like, on video games. They can lose... They can lose six hours easy sometimes without even thinking about a drop of food or what you know a drop of water or an ounce of food. Um, so she was like, "So they, I think they can, they can do it." And with kids, it is an interesting um, transition that has to take place because, first of all, when when babies are little, they're nursing. You know, they need to be fed when they're hungry. So. And babies who are in the church, they, they come up for Holy Communion. So I'm not going to say, did, did little Johnny fast this morning? You know, there's an exception. There's an understanding there. But as they get older, they gain more self-control. And it's natural for them, just like their parents. So for my kids, when they were super little, um, they would eat like a little something uncooked dry, like a little granola bar. Or something, something in the morning, because it was hard for them, and have a little water. But you're not talking bacon and eggs and pancakes in the morning, because they're little. Some, the minimum. And then over time, you get to the point where I think you're okay. Like try, let's let's try not eating anything today. Or with my with my kids, it just kind of happened naturally with them. But we talked about it. We say eventually you just you're going to come to the point where you're going to you're going to fast before coming to church on Sunday, so let's work on that. And uh, they all naturally got to the point where they were just like, hmm, "That's yeah, I don't need to eat anymore. That's what we do." Um, it's a, but it takes time. So yeah, your question. Um, why, why is it that uh, for the Orthodox Church? That's because they're wimpy. <laughs> Everyone wants to make things easier. And rather than just discarding fasting altogether, and I'm sorry for saying wimpy, and just, it was a, you know what? It was a good, what did they say? You, it was, you laid it right, right for me, so I just had to dunk it in. Um, but, um, but it's, they have, they've changed their disciplines. I mean, like, their fasting turned into, we, we eat fish on Fridays during Great Lent. Yeah. But, you know, like, but originally they would have observed the same. Because we, we come from a common origin. But they've, they've changed. They've kind of secularized in a way. They've softened their disciplines. And while they might have, like, monastic orders that have stricter, stricter fasting and asceticism, um, the Orthodox Church has always preserved that as something that is not only important as just as a discipline because we need we actually we need you know guidelines we we need things that limit our decisions because otherwise we'll just do whatever we want and it's a way of tempering our will 
And it's, um, it's therapeutic, we would say. Our fasting is not merely obligatory, not merely, but it's a therapeutic tradition. I call it a prescription. So people will they'll use the language of, like, the church has a lot of rules, or fasting rules, or something like that. And I'll say, um, you could put it that way, but I call them prescriptions. Like, you go to a doctor, and the doctor says, you need to exercise three times a week, or you, or you have you know, knee surgery and you need to do physical therapy. Do your physical therapy exercises every day for, for a month. If you don't do the physical therapy exercises, you're probably not going to regain mobility. You're not going to heal the way that you claim to, to desire to heal. And the church gives us prescriptions in a similar way that will assist us in our healing, in becoming, um, becoming truly human, you know. Um, and part of that is by learning. Someone told me once, a mother of five sons, and boys like to eat. And she, she would say to her sons when they said, why do we have to fast, you know, we just want to eat, you know. And she'd say, fasting is about learning how to say no to yourself. Ooh, you know, and you've probably heard me say this in some of our sessions, but the ability that you have to say yes, the freedom that you have to say yes, is not true freedom unless it's met with also the ability to say no. Because it's a false sense of freedom when you become addicted to saying yes to doing whatever I want all the time then you become you start to feel like you're imprisoned by your desires and I've heard people over and over again I'm struggling with this father and I can't stop yeah because you're not free you're not truly free and that's why I work with people and that's why in the church we have prescriptions that build in the disciplines of learning how to say no to certain desires that we have and our relationship with food is directly related to our relationship with God. Because what we consume is from Him, but we consume with an incredible amount of freedom and satisfaction. And it gets us a lot of, our, a lot of the problems that we have in this life are a result of the excesses of our life. You know, I remember talking to Father James about, I always took the spiritual life really seriously and I wanted to you know, fast more, and I didn't want to watch movies and things like that. And, and he would say, yeah, he said, <laughs> it was sweet. Father James said, yeah, most people struggle with not being disciplined enough rather than being too disciplined. You know, <laughs> I thought, okay. I'm not trying to tell, I wasn't trying to tell him I'm too disciplined or something, but I thought, okay, that's maybe, there are, there are areas in my life where I'm not disciplined enough too and uh, it's a false sense of freedom that we have that says yes to myself and getting my way the path of least resistance all the time usually sin is pretty easy it's the easy way a lot of times um, that's one of the great deceptions there what are you thinking uh, because the uh, day 
an Orthodox calendar starts the night before. Yeah. Uh, which is really traditional going back to Hebrew time. Yeah, that's true. Practical question. Yeah. Uh, if Wednesday and Friday are fast days, yeah. uh, should you start the fast yeah. uh, after nightfall? It's a good question. The day before. That might make sense if everyone was going to Vespers or something, you know, and, but we're not. And so the practice is to fast from midnight to midnight. It, get, it gives a hard, you know, guideline like that everyone can follow. And actually, I'm going to give you this little fasting calendar that has our guidelines, and it details that. But that's a great question, because I've, I've encountered that along the way. And uh, liturgically, it would make sense, yeah. in a way. But uh, that's a good question. So, um, so it, when we fast for communion, it says, this begins the evening before communion. Um, the minimum requirement is no food or drink after midnight, and that's what we follow in, um, in our tradition. Many also observe a complete fast at the beginning of Great Lent and on Holy Friday, at least until after Vespers. And I have a little note. Let's see what I have. In the case of an evening liturgy, you always fast from 12 or 1, at least 6 hours in advance of communing. During Great Lent and other seasons of fasting, we abstain from all meat, dairy products, and fish with backbones. We also regulate the amount of food eaten. The fathers tell us that we should get up from the table and still be slightly hungry in order to be attentive at prayer. And abstinence from certain types of food has nothing to do with uncleanness. There's nothing morally wrong with eating meat. Although most fathers did teach that Adam and Eve did not eat meat before the fall. And actually the Bible teaches them. So, um, you know, they had a, for all of you, whole food plant-based diet. You know, that was the diet of Eden. The permission to eat meat only came later after the fall. Because it requires death. There is, however, a correlation between the types of food we eat and our spiritual state. Animal products, especially fats and oils... They tend to inflame the passions and create inner turmoil, especially when they're eat, eaten in excess. This ancient wisdom of the fathers will come as no surprise to modern nutritionists. The, the, the food we eat affects our behavior, you know, affects us psychologically and physically. Although fasting has many health benefits to recommend it, that is not the reason we fast. Bishop Callistos of Blessed Memory, who just passed away this last week, writes, The primary aim of fasting is to make us conscious of our dependence upon God. Food has a way of making us bold. When you eat enough, you, when, you're, when you're overly full, you're, you have not a care in the world. That's why a lot of us go in the midst of our anxieties, we go right to food. It's immediately comforting. And it, it's sedating. It's sedating. It's and it gives us a sense of, yeah, a sense of control, you know. And it's relaxing. It is. Um, so, we voluntarily um, experience physical hunger in order to make us aware of our true spiritual hunger and our poverty of spirit. And again, this isn't some, something new. It's something that can, like, we trust 
We trust the prescription of the good doctor. And the church, and if we look at it, all of the, the saints, all of them, practiced fasting. Not one of them. Someone recently said, well, Father, someone told me that it's not a sin not to fast. It's not a f- sin to break the fast or something. It wasn't you. You told me you heard about that somewhere, wasn't it? And I've heard it more than once. And I've thought, okay, but which of the fathers of the church would say it's not, it's import, it's not important to do it? The fathers and mothers of the church. I mean, they, they all took it seriously because they believe that it's un, unto our benefit and that it is, as such, it is salvific. You know? Now, not everyone can be um, an intense ascetic, you know, who, who's eating very little food and um, praying for hours and hours on end. You don't have to do that. But to eat, to adjust your diet, to eat a little bit less, right? to eat less fatty, you know, foods especially, those are the ones that we often go to. Those are rich, fatty foods. I call them um, uh, low-nutrient, low, low high-calorie density foods. Those are so easy. There's an, it's easy to lose track of how many. Did that whole bag of chips just disappear? Who ate that? Where is everyone? Um, we voluntarily experience physical hunger. So, and there's a, an incredible book, I mean, excuse me, an incredible text that I've posted called, and I think I told you about it last week too, actually. It's called The, the True Nature of Fasting. I've posted it on our website, and it is, it's really good to go deeper into um, why we fast, and then the development of um, fasting during Great Lent, especially, too. Another reason we fast is to subdue our passions and self-will. The fathers tell us that there is no way we can control our urges for sexual gratification, money, power, etc. if we're unable to control our stomachs. Fasting is the first step toward self-control. When we fast, it's extremely important that we do so according to the rules or the prescriptions of the church and the directions of our spiritual father. And that's another role I play in people's lives, is if someone, they don't feel like they could safely maybe adhere to the, like the vegan diet that, that we generally observe during a fasting time, or if they can't really moderate you know, the amount of food for some reason, then they can talk to me about it. And um, each of us approaches it in accordance with our state and our ability. And uh, that doesn't mean we make our own rules, though. That's really important. Because making our own rules is what's gotten us into the, the predicament that we're in as human beings. And uh, so, um, but, I, but I work with people to, to help discern what is appropriate to their condition at times. If people, you know, feel like they can't, or if they want to be more severe, and I need to tell them, you know what, you need to be more reasonable. You can't just eat, you know, a slice of bread every day during Great Lent. Your wife is going to think it's weird, and you're going to run out of energy, 
And you might even let it go to your head. I mean, there are all kinds of things that can happen. So better for you to eat moderately and observe the prescription than to go to an extreme. Fasting is a means of... Uh, okay, where did I... No. Oh, when we fast, okay? It's extremely important to do so according to the prescriptions. I like prescription rather than rule. Self-will is cut off by obedience. So there is, there is even a benefit of just, of just trusting the church's teaching. And in a way, kind of adhering to the letter of the law, you know, like just because you trust the guidance of the church. Just, oh, I trust you. I, if someone trusts you, I mean, excuse me, if you trust someone and they say, here, try this. You go, okay, I will, you know. Um, and uh, we should trust the guidelines of the church. And it's a way of cutting off our self-will by obedience. Making up our own fasting rules is an act of self-will, not obedience. And so it becomes, it, it's, it becomes contrary to the intent of it. And it can lead to spiritual pride. Fasting, therefore, is a means of subduing the passions. It's not a virtue in and of itself. We do not fast in order to earn merits. We're servants of our heavenly master and do only as we're commanded. And we hear in Luke 17, So likewise ye, when ye have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Rather than, we did a really great job. No, we were, we were obedient to Christ because we love him and we trust him. Not to draw attention to ourselves, but to draw attention to Him. And as with any practice, fasting can become an excuse for legalism. Or I like to say sometimes people become superstitious about things. And that's not the point. It's possible to keep the letter of the fast and yet violate its inner spirit. We must always keep in mind that the purpose of fasting is to control our passions and to bring us closer to God. Strict fasting, according to the rules uh, that is not accompanied by an inner attitude of submission to God yields only a hypocritical and judgmental attitude toward others. This is why we're enjoined by the hymns of the church to observe a spiritual as well as a physical fast. We hear from the, one of the hymns of Great Lent, let us set out with joy upon the season of the fast and prepare ourselves for spiritual combat. Let us purify our soul and cleanse our flesh. As we fast from food, let us abstain also from every passion, rejoicing in the virtues of the Spirit. May we preserve, persevere with love. Humility and love are, are the, always the aims of the, th of the things we're doing. So not even just to, like, to lose some weight or to say that um, I feel like I really did a nice job. I mean... I have those conversations with people. I'll say, how did you do this Lent? Or how's your fasting going? They say, I feel like, you know, I'm doing better with it. I won't go, ooh, don't let that go to your head. You know what I mean? Unless they're really struggling. But a lot of times it's people who are overly disappointed with themselves that are focusing on, on it. They're looking at it the wrong way. I'm not fasting as much as I should. I'm not, you know what I mean? And I'll say, okay. But what are you doing? And a lot of times it's, they're doing, they're doing it well, 
but not living up to their own standard, their own expectation that they have. And I'll say, well, in this case, you don't get to create even your own expectation of yourself. Here, I'll, I'll work with you on that. You know? We're learning to be honest with ourselves, but it's not so that we can stand in judgment of ourselves, which is something that we went into in our, in our last study group. So, um, and St. John Chrysostom says um, something like, do you fast from food, yet you consume your brother? Ooh, with the way that you treat them, you know? Chew them up and spit them out. And uh, so... The goal, again, isn't to be, I mean, obviously, I'm, uh, I'm not wasting away. Um, I'm not a small person by any means. Um, but I, t- I mean, I take fasting seriously. But, uh, but the fruit of fasting is, is in how we are striving to attend to God, to, to fulfill the two, the two main commandments that Christ gave. What are the two commandments? Love God and love others, you know, love God. Yeah, love, love your neighbor. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so, um, really, that's what we're aiming for, by, by suppressing our own desires and eating simply. Now, there is, there is kind of, you could say, um, an ecological effect on it, too. I mean, if, if we are eating sim- simpler foods and less prepared foods... We're wasting a lot less, too. Being simple, rice, rice and beans, salad, fruit, things like that. Um, you know, we're not eating as many processed foods and things during this time, hopefully. Um, but, uh, you know, you might, you might be missing the point if when you finally discover that Oreos are technically fast-friendly. <laughs> and, you know, you eat a, you eat a, a row of Oreos for breakfast or something like that. I might say, you know, that's not quite on, I, on track. I had that thought too. It's like, we're, we're in the middle of a fast and we're eating cookies. I'm like, there's eggs in that. Yeah. <laughs> so, people generally try, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's true. But, um, and then, you know, we've, we fast, one of our fasting times that we observe is, we call it the Nativity Fast. It starts on November 15th. And we always, we always fast in preparation for. This is something that is, is different than um, other, we'll say, other versions of Christianity and our culture. And usually I mention it in some you know, homilies around holidays, like around nativity time. Because everyone seems to kind of celebrate in advance of the holiday. All these Christmas parties and cookies and gift exchanges... And then Christmas comes, and then it's all over. Oh, okay. Um, And what we do is actually, we fast in advance, in anticipation of the feast. And then when Christmas comes, we break the fast on that day by eating good food, by celebrating with food, and hopefully not too much. You know, you don't want to get totally weighed down with all the food and drink. You don't want to get drunk on Christmas because we're celebrating the, na- the birth of Christ, you know. Um, so, but eating, but enjoying some good, some rich food, some tasty food. Because that is one of the ways that we celebrate the goodness of God. So there's a balance between feasting and fasting. 
And then we celebrate it on like nativity. And then we continue to celebrate really pretty much up until Theophany, which is in January, January 6th, where we celebrate the, uh, the baptism of Christ. So we do what they call the 12 days of Christmas. Um, we continue to celebrate. And one of the ways that's reflected is that we sing the hymns, the nativity hymns in the church. We keep singing. Thy nativity, O Christ our God, dawned upon the world the light of knowledge. For by it those who worshipped the stars were taught by a star to adore thee, the Son of Righteousness, and to know thee, the day spring, from on high, O Lord, glory to Thee. We continue to sing that. That's the main, kind of the main, like we call it, troparium. Um, that's the nativity hymn. And we hear it over and over and over again. And we go, hopefully go deeper in our understanding of why God became man. Through preparing ourselves. Like, we, in the Orthodox tradition, I'm using nativity as an example again. Um, uh, there's an understanding that Christ was, was born in a cave. He's always been depicted of, as having been born in a, in a cave, not like in a barn, but a, a cave that would have served as a stable for animals, for protecting them. But, but one of the things that we, a lot of t- correlations we, we make between the place where Christ was born in our, and ourselves is that we're trying to create within ourselves that that cave, that place where Christ can be received, where Christ can be born. Over and over again, you know. We want to be that that humble manger, that simple and quiet place. It's not so full of junk, you know, that there's no room for him. So, um, one, so a note about fasting. I'm going to hand out this little fasting calendar. There, there are different... They're kind of different local traditions um, in the Orthodox world. Like in the Russian tradition, the calendar that we use, um, that I distribute to everyone to take home and hang on their walls, that has the, the daily Bible readings and it lists like the name of the saint or the feast we're celebrating. Um, that one comes from a Russian monastery. And because they're of Russian origin, they tend to put an emphasis on feasts uh, and uh, like saints days that are of Russian origin. And so sometimes you'll see like Saint, Saint Vladislav or something will be um, a wine and oil day. You know, have, they'll have a special day where um, they celebrate a little bit more because they have a particular veneration or a love for a Russian saint. And uh, so you'll see a little variety of practices out there, but in our um, in our church, this is what the guideline that we generally follow. And I have it all posted on our online calendar, on our St. Paul Google calendar. So if you synchronize that with your with your phone or your tablet or your your personal calendar, um, you can find it right there. But also, we have it in print. So, but a note about fasting. Um, there are different types of fasting, actually. Um, 
There are the red days are days when we abstain from meat, fish, dairy, eggs, wine, and olive oil. And then there are days that are called um, wine and oil days, where it's a fasting time, but because there's a like a little sense of celebration in the middle of the fasting time, um, we'll have it as a wine and oil day, where we'll celebrate with a little rich, richer food with, um, while still abstaining from animal products. And then there are days where we abstain from meat, fish, dairy, eggs, days when we abstain from just um, meat, dairy, and eggs. So those, those would be fish, wine, and oil days, like Palm Sunday before Holy Week. We've been fasting during all of Great Lent from animal, all animal products, and then on Palm Sunday, it's a, it's a fish day, so people will get together, have their, their fish fry or something, you know, in preparation for Holy Week. And then there are days where that are, where, that are just abstaining from meat. And there is a week leading up to Great Lent that's called, and it, it's only one week really, it's called Meat Fair Week. Does anyone remember Meat Fair Week? So in the weeks preceding Great Lent, um, we, we taper down our, what we eat. So we have, we have a meat fair week, which is a week where you eat meat all, like you eat up your meat, basically. Eat it up or freeze it. And then the next week is called cheese fair week. Everyone loves that week. People love cheese. And so it's, you know, eat up your milk and eggs and cheese and stuff throughout that week. And usually... On, on that Sunday, we'll go out for, for pizza because the end of Cheese Fair Week is called Forgiveness Sunday. We come to church, we do this beautiful service before, before Great Lent where we all ask for each other's forgiveness. It's very beautiful. And then we, we start fasting at midnight. So after the Vespers, some people will go out for some, um, some pizza together and hang out. So there, you'll see a couple things where like for cheese fairs, you just abstain from meat because it's all dairy. The, the Metropolitan Callistos, who just passed, he was giving a talk about fasting. And he had this... I don't like to, to try to do his voice too much. He's very... Everyone wants... He's, he's fun to impersonate because he has this, this high, lilting British voice. But in one of his talks, he did say... Fasting is not so much about the meat. And then you're thinking, you're thinking, um, he's going to say it's about like prayer. It's about the, and he goes, it's about the cheese. Because <laughs> it is hard for people to, get, to, to give up on their cheese. Like, okay, I can go a couple of days without my meat, but can I have some shredded sharp cheddar or something, you know? So it was... <laughs> really funny so um, and for people who are new to orthodoxy too and who have who have not lived according to this mindset again it's a way of life so it's not something that you're just going to transition into automatically I remember talking to you and as you were you were you were falling in love with Christ and the church and then starting to slowly integrate. But you hadn't done the fasting. You'd done like, 
you were afraid. Yeah, and, and I remember at one point you you were like, "I'm just gonna do it, Father. Yeah. I'm just gonna do it." I started at the beginning of when. And I so said, I, "Yeah, I may it be blessed." Yeah. You know? That and was it, good though because then it made the Wednesday Friday feel like a breeze. <laughs> yeah. I know, yeah. Fasting for one day. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But what I notice too is um, once I feel like I get into the, the rhythm of the Wednesday Fridays, we'll have like the Apostle Fast come up, and it's like, oh, just, I was just getting comfortable, you know? And, yeah. And then the Dorvish It keeps us awake. Yeah, it does. And we have, four, we have four fasting times in the church. You know, we have Great Lent leading up to Pascha. We have the Apostles' Fast, which varies in length. Um, and I won't get into all the details about it, but um, and then we have the Dormition fast, which is um, the, it's okay, August first through fifteenth, and then the Nativity fast, November fifteenth through January twenty fifth. Um, I mean, all the way up to January. Excuse me, December twenty fifth. Everyone's going to think I'm a, a real extremist. He fasts all the way until January? No, we, we break the fast on nativity. Now people will ask about Thanksgiving. Yeah. What about Thanksgiving? What about Thanksgiving? Because we get together with our families, and we have the turkey, and you know. It also doesn't help that my birthday is on November 19th, so. It's a blessing. It's a blessing to have your birthday during a fasting time, I think. I mean, I'm a dork about that. Like, but I, I'm like, thank God. Like, I don't get, I'm not going to do my own thing then on my birthday. I'm gonna, and if I, if I want to celebrate it with um, nachos or something, then I can celebrate it before or after, you know, another time. But, uh, yeah, or you can get non-dairy nachos these days, you know. I don't know, you know. Mm. I even saw a carrot-based fake cheese dip. You know, that sounds guacamole. not good. Guacamole is... There are certain things that actually you start feeling a little naughty about during Great Lent, too. I'm like, cashews, guacamole in particular. Oh, man. Peanut butter is... So, we're not deprived of calories. I mean, not necessarily, even by observing. But, for a lot of us, like I was telling you, Jeremy, the other day, like, for a lot of us... The hard part is the psychological shift. Because we're used to just doing things the way we do them, a certain way. And the church is kind of saying, I'm, I'm here to interrupt the way that you are comfortable with doing things. And it's up to us to accept that or reject it. You know what I mean? We can accept it and slowly take seriously the, the healing prescriptions of the church. Or we can... Say, no, that's not for me. But if we're not, then, then we want to question, you know, whether or not orthodoxy is, you know, a good fit for us. Or if we need to just explore it a little bit more, come to a more of an understanding before we d really dive in, you know. So I'm going to go Remy and then I'll ask you to. Um, so how long is the last um, birthday? Is it midnight to midnight? Yeah, so, so fasting is midnight to midnight. Um, Aside from like when we have a season of like a 40-day, we do some 40-day times. But again, you're still eating. You're just eating a modified diet. We, we abstain from animal products. 
um, olive oil technically and wine. Although we live in a time where we have tons of oil, so it's easy to fast from olive oil, but to have all kinds of other oil. So, I mean, I think the intent was to eat, the, the spirit of it was to eat less rich food and less processed food and more simple. You know, like people are, are doing with their whole food plant-based diet. But, um, but many people, we do, like we'll use, we'll use um, some, some oil, some canola oil or something, um, especially those of us who have kids. And uh, I mean, the ideal would be to eat simple, steamed, f steamed or boiled foods, you know, and to eat, you know, like you and I talked about, to eat maybe one meal in the evening. But that's not realistic for most people. So we start with a moderate approach. You might eat a little, bre you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but you're you're following the prescriptions. And then with time, you think to yourself, you know what? Maybe I can do without them during fasting times. Maybe I, I skip a meal, you know? Maybe I, um, or I don't snack during the day at all. Or if I do snack, it's just fresh fruit, you know what I mean? To keep you in the mindset of fasting. But again, the fasting isn't just about the diet. You're also, hopefully you're coming to church, you're, you're taking time to pray. Food that, or excuse me, time that would be spent doing excess, lots of food prep, maybe. Put, find, a lot, find one pot meals that you can do. We got an instant pot? That thing has done wonders for us, and our kids love food that's cooked in the instant pot. Have you ever heard of those? You just throw, it's a pressure cooker. You just put a bunch of, and you can find, if you look up vegan instant pot recipes, they are good recipes, and there's a lot of vegan food out there that's Really, actually tasty. So it's not like you're going from one radical extreme to another in this day and age, you know. Um, so um, it's just about making some little changes. And remember, one of, the, one of the reasons that many people are interested in orthodoxy is because they're tired of this mentality that Christ needs to change that the church needs to change, that we need to, the church needs to become more adaptive and relevant, finally we think, no, I need to change. I'm the one who needs to change. And so these are some of those changes in a really practical way um, when we observe uh, the fasting prescriptions of the church. So... Um, and people have been working on this for thousands of years. So if you go it's not deeply, new. deeply into the Greek cookbooks and yeah. stuff and look for the nistissima cuisine, yeah. it's really good. Right. And nistissima comes from the word nistia, which means fasting in Greek. And so, so, so the, word, the term fasting is a little tricky because it, we're not just, again, people think, you don't eat anything? No, it's we, we have a moderate. There are certain things we don't eat during those times. Um, and now there was one family that they were trying to adjust their diet and they did, they did their best during Great Lent. And then they found out after Great Lent, they were talking to someone, shrimp is considered fast friendly. See, I don't eat shrimp. I don't eat shellfish or anything like that. So I don't even think about it. But they were like, we learned after you can have sh shrimp. You know what I mean? Like, 
I don't know if you're fasting and if you know you're not eating meat, chicken, beef, pork, things like that that you're used to eating, a little bit of shrimp can go a long way. It can kind of get the edge off. So, um, and part part of it is because it's not considered fish because it has, doesn't have a backbone and they're bottom feeders. So where a lot of the origins, a lot of the fasting guidelines came from places where shrimp was considered almost like it wasn't fancy. It wasn't considered great food. It was, you know, it wasn't considered um, luxury. Thank you. That's the word. Like luxury cuisine. Like for us, a lot of times, like it would be funny to me if someone was fasting and they were eating lobster. Technically, they would be observing the fast, but it's a luxury cuisine well, for us. Yeah. Uh huh. Like, yeah. yeah Yeah. <laughs> and just like, it tastes good, yeah. you know, like, so there's like this, yeah. you know, like, so that's, o- I mean, it's okay, like, it's okay, but, um, but at some point, you're going to say, like, well, there would be no fake cheese if there wasn't real cheese. So, right now, maybe as I'm learning, as I'm transitioning, you know, I'm going to, I might eat some of this, like, some of the fake meat crumbles or cheese or something, the fake cheese. Um, and my kids, they like it too, you know, and we do, we do it every once in a while, especially a weekend is a good time because it's a wine and oil day during like a fasting time. So having a little fake cheese, fake cheese is mostly made out of plant products and oil. So, um, they love having, uh, have you ever heard of Daya brand cheese, fake cheese? They like these Daya slices, um, grilled cheese with tomato soup. And we have some salad or something. You know, it's easy. But yeah, what are you thinking? Oh, behind you. Oh, oh yeah. I'm sorry. Barbara. I was just going to say that. So fasting is one of those things my 13-year-old son is. I was going to say, someone with children <laughs> have a bit can... Of a hard time with it. There's a small book called When You Fast. Oh, yeah. It's very small and it's really good. Written by, he's not a priest, just an Orthodox person who teaches. But it's really good to get to like the heart of why you fast. Yeah. There's been a, there are a lot of good things in there that I can like now explain to Nathaniel, like you know, mm-hmm. think about it this way. And yeah. Just to sort of, it's very different to like change your mind. To and there's a. You're saying, like, oh yeah, and there's a book by Metropolitan Callistos okay. when you fast. It's right after. <laughs> but there's, it's, this is a different one. There's a book. There's a book. A, yeah. a little bit of a bigger book. Goes, yeah. Yeah. And then there's a there's one called food, f- what is it, faith and fasting or fasting as a family or something. Fasting as a family, yeah. Is a book. And then there's also the Lenten cookbook. The Lenten, yeah. You mentioned that last week, I think. Yeah, yeah. fasting is good. There's a lady named Rita Madden on ancient faith. I haven't really listened to her, but um, she's a nutritionist and an Orthodox Christian. And you know, some of us Westerners were like, well, how do I know this is really healthy for me, you know. My doctor says I, I need to eat more beef or something like that. Protein, protein, the whole protein thing. Um, I need more protein. And uh, so Rita Madden approaches it. I think she also has a podcast that's called Food, Faith, and Fasting. 
So as a nutritionist, she addresses some of these things. And one of the things that I started working on with one of, one of our parishioners actually during this Lent is we used, to, we used to share fasting recipes with one another in our parish. And then when the internet became so widely used, people stopped sharing those things because everyone can just go find their own recipes online. But I decided for the sake of our community and sharing what works for us and what, it is, what tastes good, you know, and things like that. Um, and to help people survive, you know, the transition to fasting as a family, we would try to create our own little St. Paul kind of like web page that, um, that is a fasting cookbook, that's a receptacle. Actually, that's actually how the Lenten cookbook started. Oh, is it? it yeah. Became a book. Oh, okay, cool. It's a yeah. Exactly. So thinking about doing, you know, doing that as a project. So if any of you guys have any fasting recipes, um, and I'm not talking open a can of soup, pour it in a bowl, microwave it for 30 seconds or something. Okay. We can figure that one out. But, you know, if it's an instant pot meal that's good or, you know, something like that. Oh, and then... Eating, eating here on Sunday during Great Lent. Yeah, because you'll eat something that is a fast-friendly meal, and you think, oh, we could eat that? We could do that? That was good. Yeah, that was good. Whoa. So getting the, that's a good way to get recipes, too. Yeah, Remy, what do you think? Um, is it true that if someone were to offer you food, you uh, were a fasting Yeah. That you, you, shouldn't you shouldn't refuse it. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's something we don't need to we don't need to make hard and fast rules about everything. Um, I don't eat meat in general. Just, I haven't eaten meat for over twenty years. So if someone were to offer me meat, I would just say, "Oh, thanks," but I, you know, I don't eat meat. Um, one of the ways, so that you're not awkwardly drawing attention to yourself, you know, like. Oh, well, I'm, I'm fasting right now, but fasting doesn't actually really mean fasting. It just means eating certain things, but not others. You know, it can become complicated to try to explain everything to people. If someone were to offer you something, you could easily just say, you know what, um, I'm, I'm observing, I have a vegan diet right now. And, you know, but they, if they were like, well, can you just have a little bite or something? Then out of love or respect for them, sure. You know, you could. You could try something. Also, a lot of us, we have families, friends and families that are not orthodox and that will not be observing the same prescriptions that we do for fasting. And so you have to be flexible at times. It doesn't mean like during Great Lent you're going to ask your sister-in-law to have you over four or five times so that you can receive their hospitality. You know what I mean? Um, so... But, but you are right, like you, we, don't, we don't want to miss the point. The point is to love people more and to open our heart, not close it off. So there are times when someone might invite you to, to eat with them or they bring you something out of the blue and they want you to try it. You might say, okay. And then um, depending on the relationship though with people, it's also, it's a kind of witness to them to say, in the, the tradition that I'm becoming a part of, though, um, I'm also learning about 
Fasting from certain kinds of foods at different times is our, part of our spiritual discipline. So you become a little more articulate with time so that you can use it as an opportunity to share. So it's not, not always an either or. Sometimes you make a judgment call based on the relationship that you have or the particular scenario. You know, if you go to your grandma's, your grandma's a Baptist and she makes fried chicken and, you know, mashed potatoes and gravy all the time and you go to her house, then you're probably just going to, you know, eat that. Although I've seen people who started that way when they were Orthodox and their family started to really respect their spiritual path. So you don't need to hide your spiritual journey, you know. Because again, a lot of people are really interested in um, the integration of the spiritual and the physical. And they want to be, you know, you hear the word holistic all the time. It's a holistic health center or something like that. And um, the Orthodox Church is actually quite holistic. It is. But it's not pick and choose holistic. You know, that's the thing, you know. So. And I, I, I've been vegan for more than 20 years, but mm -hmm. some of the most arrogant people I've met in my life have yeah. been arrogant about veganism. Yeah, I know. And you, you can't do that yeah. because I think missing a fast is better out of love yeah. than being arrogant. Yeah. And like, for instance, I, my wife told her grandmother when I was coming over once, oh, my husband Edward, uh, he's a vegan. So I, I went over and she's like, here, Edward, uh, here, I made you a vegetarian soup. It has chicken, no lamb or anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. <laughs> because in Bosnia, yeah. chicken is vegetarian. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, okay, out of love for you all. Yeah. I've, heard, I've heard that too. Oh, you're a vegetarian, so you eat chicken, right? Or you eat, you eat lamb, of course, you know, or whatever. Um, that happened to me once. I went, they said, whoa, we made a special meal for you because we know you're a vegetarian. And it was like this big shrimp dish. And I don't, you know, don't generally eat seafood. So anyway, but I did, I had it because I thought it was so kind. They went out of their way to make something. Um, so. What was the Thanksgiving prescription? Oh, yeah, we never got to it. <laughs> Shoot, you had to bring it up again. I was hoping I could just kind of gloss over it. Okay, I'll tell you, there are two approaches. Um, one is you fast on, thanks, on Thanksgiving. Like, that's what I do. I just don't break the fast. I mean, I just, just, that's just the lifestyle like I've just chosen to live. But I've also been a vegetarian for so long, and it, no one's, like, surprised when I don't have turkey or something like that. Um, there's also a part, and then here's the other perspective. This is such a part of our culture our cultural tradition and our identity as Americans actually that we get together with our families and we celebrate with a meal and that meal a lot of times happens to involve turkey and pie and things like that and so many people will they will we call it relax the fast on that day they'll relax the fast they'll they'll eat their turkey and mashed potatoes and gravy and all the good stuff that day um, and then return to fasting the next day. No, I would venture to say some people probably eat leftovers the next day but I don't breathe down people's <laughs> necks either, you know, because that's another part of it. I mean, what we do in my house 
I don't, I don't break the fast, but my family does. And that's just, and it's just like how it is, you know. And I'm not angry with them about it. Because usually we share a meal, we have people over, or we go over there. And ironically, somehow, I end up making the turkey. <laughs> and I can't tell you the last time, they always love my turkeys. Maybe it's because I'm fasting and I've got such like this spiritual energy <laughs> that, that transfers into the turkey. I don't know. But uh, anyway, but so there's another thing. It's kind of like a selfless act, you know what I mean? Because I'm not benefiting from it. Other than there is, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Like there's some, there's a joy in doing something for the benefit of other people. Just to see them enjoy it. So, so... It's, there's not a super clean, you know, specific rule that you have to follow. Um, but what we do is we'll have our Thanksgiving meal and then all of our stuff goes into the freezer until after we just freeze it. And then, it, you know, it comes out after nativity. We just, you know, that's, that's how it goes. Well, I remember, so. I remember texting yeah, that's right. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's right. And I've had, I've had people. It's really funny what our minds do. Someone said, "Father, I just, I broke down, and I had a hamburger." It's really funny, like the the way that if, it if, it affects people sometimes. You know, their their desire for food, and it's kind of a weakness. And so I'll say, okay, so you did that. You told me, and then let's try to finish it out. You know, let's finish the rest, because then they'll sometimes they'll want me to say, like I told you. Well, I mean, I already ate meat, so I blew it for this Lent. So, so no. Nope, you just, it was just that one time. It's okay. So, it's pretty funny. I actually, I actually had a series like that. Because, uh, it actually was uh, last week, where it was on uh, Wednesday. Well, I had that. It's 2 o'clock. It was, I, 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 I love cookies. I can't deny that. If you ever see me down there when there's cookies, okay. I get it. So, but there was that. I was like, yeah. I, was thinking, I was like, oh, wait a minute. And then I, I was like, okay. <laughs> well, and a lot of times we try... During fasting times, we'll try not to serve things that um, are that have any animal products in them. We'll have vegan cookies a lot of times. Like Elizabeth makes some of the best vegan cookies. I mean, they're it's yeah. I call them naughty, yeah. <laughs> naughty, and I try to avoid. Like there are some really like really good vegan foods that are kind of rich. Um, and sometimes I'll, I'll wait until the weekend, you know, till Saturday, Sunday, to have, to have those or something like that. So anyway, okay, you guys, it's 2 o'clock, so um, let's, let's finish up. I'll get into some of the other topics. I don't know, I, was, I thought we, we may run out of time because we were just doing this little special study on fasting. But fasting is actually a pretty popular topic. Um, let me hand you this little fasting calendar. It's a, you, I post it on my fridge. Um, as a as a reference, it's also available on our website. We have you have one. Yeah. You have one. Thank you. Let me take that. And then, again, 
especially for those of you who are new and still figuring things out. I'm not telling you you have to start start this now. Just saying it's something to become aware of. And uh, I think about maybe maybe I, I might start fasting, you know, once or twice a week or something like that. Um, and then you guys share. Now you have the same fridge at home. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have this curve? I'm on my phone. Oh yeah, it's nice to have a printout. <coughs> what about you? Uh, I don't have much. Do you want one or do you each want one? I'll take printout. You'll take just one. Just one. Anything you have? There you go. All right. Yeah, you can pin it. You can pin it to your home screen. Got the little thing to your plastic card. Oh yeah, yeah. <coughs> and like I said, I've integrated into our online calendar at our on the church website. Um, and you can synchronize it with your phone and stuff if, you, if that's helpful for you. And that way, it's all just on, you know, on your digital calendar if, if that works for you. So, all right, well, please stand up and we'll just say a concluding prayer. And then I'll let you guys go. <coughs> let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. O Christ, our God, who at all times and in every hour in heaven and on earth are worshipped and glorified. Who are long-suffering, merciful, and compassionate, who lovest the just and showest mercy upon the sinner, who callest all the salvation through the promise of blessings to come. O Lord, in this hour, receive our supplications and direct our lives according to thy commandments. Sanctify our souls, hallow our bodies, correct our thoughts, cleanse our minds, deliver us from all tribulation, evil, and distress. Encompass us with thy holy angels that guided and guarded by them, we maintain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of thine unapproachable glory. For thou art blessed unto ages of ages. Amen. Okay, well, God bless you all. Go in peace. Thank you so much for being here today. And God willing, I'll see you again soon.